a small Texas town, two people in a clandestine affair. When tragedy struck and evidence surfaced, the entire community turned on one man. But dogged investigation and new evidence indicate that perhaps another suspect could be to blame, while the wrong person sits on death row. This week's episode is Rodney Reed, Part 1. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. We have upgraded our studio, and I'm feeling good right now. You guys, we were sitting in plastic chairs. They were not comfortable. They were cute. They, they were, were not comfortable. We were hunkered forward. I think our spines are going to be very grateful. Yes. And we, my, you know, Chrissy, I hate shudder to say 90% of my life comes from Amazon. Everyone oh, knows. Yeah. If same. I have a cute dress on, it's probably from Amazon. And we got these lovely economical chairs from Amazon that are actually quite comfortable. I am reclined right now. <laughs> I said, you're going to have a lot of opinions because <laughs> you feel kind of loose. I do. I said, I'm about to get a lot sassier because just of my, my body language. Speaking of sassy. What's that? I got a lot of people with a lot of opinions about today's episode. We've had so many requests for this episode because it's very time sensitive. Mm -hmm. So understandably, and it's very much in the news and very important. And also, you know, uh, it's a hot topic. Well, a lot of heated opinions on both sides and surprisingly bipartisan support. Yes. Coming out on both sides. You know, normally you may say, Oh, it's more of a liberal thing to be, anti-death penalty but in this case there's people from both sides of the aisle saying hey there's credible evidence let's take a look at this and when ted cruz is telling you to be reasonable wow then everyone should listen i mean the zodiac killer tells you to (laughs) pipe down i mean pipe down he's (laughs) he's got some opinions but i mean you know he normally is pretty he's pretty staunch in his things that he talks about and the his beliefs and so in this case he said you know as a person that was a an attorney, whenever evident, credible evidence comes out, it's the court's duty to look at it and to uh, to stay the execution until it's been uh, properly looked at. So, yes, well, we are talking about Rodney Reed. This is going to be a two parter, a lot of evidence, a lot of evidence and a trial and everything. So and 20 something judges have looked at the appeal. I mean, there's just been so many yeah. appeals and so much evidence coming in through the appeals and after the appeals and even after the after the the execution date was set. So it's a it's been, a, like you said, a 20 year thing we're working with here. So in this first episode, we're going to talk about the victim, the accused and then her fiance, the victim's fiance, who a lot of people now say, and even back then, is the actual murderer. Yeah, possible suspect. Uh, And we will get into some of the evidence that came out, but for the most part, we're going to go with what was known at the time. Yeah. And then we'll get into all the subsequent evidence in episode two. We try and present this to you guys when we do episodes like Epstein or stuff where so much comes out after Mm -hmm. the way that you would get it if it was happening 
In real time. In real time. So, yeah. We don't want to... What is the what is the expression? Spoil the... Put the cart before the horse? Spoil, yeah, that works. I almost said spoil the beans. That's not <laughs> anything. We don't want to spoil the beans. What do we so, say? If you say it in a country accent, though, it's a thing. It's like, don't spoil true. the beans. It's an aphorism as long as you got the... You don't want to spoil... We're not going to spoil the beans, so we're going right. to do this in real time. I don't want to spoil the beans. Never, never. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into this. Stacy Stites was born in New Aces County, Texas, on January 19, 1977. Her childhood was mostly spent in Corpus Christi, a small coastal town in South Texas, near the Gulf of Mexico. She later moved to Bastrop, a town with a population of less than 8,000, located about 30 miles southeast of Austin. It's a very um, traditional place. I have a friend that practices in and around, in and around Travis County that's a mm-hmm. trial lawyer who she said that it's pretty much require that you still wear a skirt if you're a female attorney you have to wear a skirt suit mm. if you're practicing in bastrop so it's uh it's pretty uh, traditional traditional antiquated perhaps, perhaps. oppressive one perhaps. might say <laughs> perhaps in an interview with kxan crystal dobbs stacy's sister said stacy was vivacious beautiful and friendly her bright blue eyes would light up any room and she enjoyed playing sports specifically basketball, which she played during high school at Smithville High. In 1995, when Stacy was a senior at Smithville, she met Jimmy Fennell, a 24-year-old rookie police officer. Okay, so, you know, sometimes older guys date high school seniors. Sometimes. It's not illegal. No, it's not illegal. It's, I mean... Nine, she's probably, she's actually not, she's 18 at this time. Yes. Maybe even 17 turning 18. He's 23-ish, 24. That's not a huge jump. Yeah. But when you say you're dating a high schooler. That's on the office when Andy goes to see her and he said, oh, is it that librarian? And he said, no, it's the girl at the locker. She's a local frozen yogurt chef. (laughs) Me and her friends went out and were hitting uh, mailboxes with a baseball bat. Yeah. I forgot about that whole (laughs) storyline. That's so funny. Some of your students have some problems. (laughs) Yeah. So that's you don't want to be Andy Bernard going to the high school to visit your girlfriend. No, But if you're a a senior in high school, it is pretty dope to be like, yeah, my 23 year old boyfriend's going to come pick me up. That's true. In his police car. In his police car. Jimmy was from the remote West Texas town of Hale Center, roughly 450 miles from Bastrop. He and Stacy met at the Smithville Jamboree, a popular local event with carnival rides and booths selling treats like cotton candy and funnel cake. By the time Stacy graduated from high school, the two had begun dating. The couple's relationship moved fast, with them soon moving in together. Not long after, they got engaged. It's a quick turnaround. I was just, uh, Paris and I were just saying... It would be, think about who you were dating when you were like 19 or 20. And if you oh, had God. ended up getting married. Oh, my, God. To be fair, my parents got married when my mom was 19 and my dad was 20. And it ended up great. Sometimes it works. And I have out. a theory that it was more likely to work in your parents' generation than ours. Oh, you think so? I do. Just because of like the internet? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think people were less likely to get divorced back then for mm-hmm. various reasons. Studies also show that if you are together for at least three years before getting engaged, you have like a 60 percent ch- chance of staying together as opposed to getting divorced. Maybe even higher than that. Same for having kids. 
Oh, like waiting. My parents waited 10 years to have Shannon. Wow. So they got married when they were 20, 21 and then didn't have Shannon until that's like awesome. 20 and 29. I think it's three years with kids. Statistically, if you're married for three years or more before having kids, you're more likely to not get divorced. Interesting. So they did it. My parents, did it. they just backloaded it with the kids. They, yeah, they cushioned <laughs> it. So they definitely wouldn't get divorced. Carol Stites, Stacy's mom told KXAN that Jimmy was a nice guy and claimed her soon-to-be son-in-law was madly in love with her daughter. Stacy's sister, Crystal, said that Stacy was thrilled about her upcoming wedding and took a job at the local HEB grocery store to help pay for the big day. Regarding her sister, Crystal told KXAN she was going to be the first sister to do the full-blown wedding and she wanted it to be perfect. Not only did she work at the grocery store, she worked... The very, very early shift because you got paid just a little bit more wow. to go in at 3.30 a.m. I mean, I, that's a you deserve every penny. Yes. So she was really trying to pay off. Save Her up. mom said she was trying to pay off all the jewelry and the dress and everything she put in layaway. So she was really working hard to do that. However, not everyone believed that Stacy and Jimmy had a fairy tale romance. According to statements her friend Ronnie Reveal made to police after Stacy's murder, Jimmy was jealous and had a violent temper. The Austin Chronicle quotes police records where Reveal told officers that Stacy seemed down quite a bit. When Ronnie asked her what was wrong, her friend reported Stacy told him that her and her boyfriend were having problems and also that the boyfriend had a violent temper. That's, That's not, not good. Not a good re- not a good reputation to have with your f- girlfriend's friends. No, and at that time they're just boyfriend girlfriend. If those red flags are already happening before you're really serious bail i mean it's and it's hard too if you're 19 and you think oh my gosh he's mm-hmm. a policeman he loves me he's gonna take care of me you're from uh, the small town sometimes people just get mad it's okay. dating a cop is is probably a badge of honor yeah and you know a a, a step up from maybe who you had previously well, i don't want to just date some high school boy i want to date a man you know he's like a man with a job yeah, and for sure he can provide In fact, Jimmy's violent temper was well-known by many. In a law enforcement training, fellow officer Mary Blackwell heard Jimmy brag that he would strangle Stacy with a belt if she were ever unfaithful. She also witnessed Jimmy acting in an abusive manner towards Stacy. Well, that is not something you hear people just uh, casually say in everyday conversation. Especially not at a fellow law enforcement training seminar. It's pretty ballsy. That shows the types of balls this guy had where he felt like he could or he's just dumb as shit. That's true. That he would just openly talk about. It's this. such a weird specific thing to say too. not like I'm going to like I'm going to kill you. If she ever killed if she ever cheated me, I'd kill her. If she ever killed me, I'd strangle her with a belt. It's very specific. Very specific. Spoiler alert. That's how she's murdered. Yeah. In November of 1995, an insurance salesman tried to sell the couple life insurance when they were discussing whether to sign up, Stacy remarked, I really don't know why I need life insurance since I'm so young. The insurance salesman was horrified to hear Jimmy reply, If I ever catch you messing around on me, I will kill you and no one will ever know it was me that killed you. This information has come out since the trial took place and is one of the key reasons Rodney's defense is seeking a new trial. So there was a lot of things that occurred that either people didn't come forward at the time because they didn't know it was relevant or in the investigation, his attorneys have now discovered. There's also a lot of stuff that the defense knew 
and just didn't present at trial. Or that the prosecution had and didn't give to the defense. We'll get into that in the second episode. But yeah, it's a it's a shit show. There's a lot of information and then it's almost like they couldn't balance it. They didn't know what all to include and what they didn't. Mm -hmm. There was reasoning, but it was it good. I don't know. A few months later in the spring of 1996, Jimmy and Stacy were visiting friends when the two began to argue. When Officer Charles Wayne Fletcher, who was at the gathering, asked Jimmy what was wrong, Jimmy told him that he was angry because he believed that Stacy was fucking an N-word. That is... That's one word that gets thrown a lot of, around a lot. Yeah. in the By Jimmy Fennell. Quoted by a lot of people as saying that word a lot of times. It was um, not... Uh, he didn't shy away from his racism. No, 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 no. He's pretty blatant. He is a white cop in a rural town in Texas. Had some accusations against him for... Uh, Chasing down and perhaps being a little too violent and aggressive with uh, perpetrators of color. Yes. So not shocking he, that he would say this he word a lot. Was, he threw around the N-word willy-nilly. A lot. Yes. Well, Stacy was, in fact, cheating on Jimmy with the man she had met several months earlier in the back game room of a Diamond Shamrock gas station. This man was Rodney Reed. Rodney Reed was born on December 22nd, 1967, in Ventura, California. His mother was a nurse and his father was in the Air Force. One of six brothers raised as military brats, Rodney and his family moved a lot during his childhood. During the mid-1990s, they found themselves in Wichita Falls, Texas, where Rodney attended Hershey High School. While Rodney did not excel academically, he made up for it in the athletic department. He played football on the school team, the Huskies. He was also a skilled boxer and won the Texas Golden Gloves title several times before being asked to attend the 1988 Olympic trials. I went to many Golden Gloves matches growing up. Interesting. Why? Because my dad kept the time at the, during the, he would sit around, I guess he was a lawyer and then a judge. And I think a perk, someone that was involved with Golden Gloves gave him was to Keep the time at the in the matches. So he sat up at the ring and that's and so kept cool. The time. Yeah, it was very cool. He gets it's like almost like the let's get ready to rumble. Yeah. He gets to be the guy that starts the match. There was one time where it was like coming down to the wire and he had to like stand up with the timer and blood got on his shirt and it was kind of cool. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's I almost tended, like the WWE. <laughs> almost. I um I attended a lot of those. They were always. I'm not a huge fan of boxing now. Mm. Not a proponent of it, but they were exciting and fun matches. And yeah. my friends would be there and we'd all run around. Oh, and also you're like, my dad's the one that's doing it. <laughs> it makes you, you know, feel cool. In 1987, when Rodney was a senior in high school, a 19-year-old woman accused him of rape. She told police that on August 19th, 1987, she'd gone swimming earlier in the day and came home close to midnight. As she tried walking into her door, she was grabbed by a man that had been waiting for her inside her house. She told officers the man took her to her bedroom where he hit her and sexually assaulted her. Police pointed to a broken window in her kitchen as the perpetrator's likely point of entry. This became the first case to use DNA in Wichita County, Texas, and the DNA pointed to Rodney Reed as the suspect. When police officers went to question Rodney one day while he was at school, Rodney acknowledged that he and the woman did have sex. According to Rodney, the two had met at a party. Upon leaving, they headed to her house to have sex. 
Rodney admitted to hitting the woman after she had slapped him and yelled at him. However, he denied sexually assaulting her or climbing in through her window. Evidence showed the window was broken from inside the house, as most of the glass was found on the outside of the window. Rodney was also entirely too large to fit through the small kitchen window. How was his DNA? How did they already have his DNA? She gave a sample because she. But how did they the have? How did they have his in the system? She said it was him, and then they took a sample. Oh, from they took him. a sample from him. Yeah. Okay. At the trial in 1991, the jury spent about six hours deliberating. When they were finished, they delivered their verdict. Not guilty. However, Rodney was already on probation for theft charges brought against him in 1986, the year before he had been accused. Because he failed to report that he hit the accuser in the face, Rodney was sentenced to six months in jail for violating his probation. According to protocol, he should have reported the assault accusation to his probation officer. So he gets acquitted of the sexual assault, but the judge says, well, uh, I think you're a little bit in violation of your probation, six months in jail. Even though the trial happened and acquitted him and it, five years after yes. he was accused yes. and he was no longer on probation. Correct. It was retroactive. Yes. He reached back. The judge reached back. Is that pretty common or do you think this judge had had it out for him a bit? In this case, I would say no harm, no foul because he was acquitted. But I guess he did admit to hitting her because she yelled at him, I guess. And so I think maybe, maybe it was the judge's way of saying, well, you get some not just going to get a slap on the wrist for hitting this woman. Correct. We are going to do something here. I think it was his way to. Use the broad power of the court to say, I'm going to do something. I'm going to get right. some kind of justice. Okay. In September of 1991, Rodney was accused of assault again. Another victim came forward. But according to Bob Estrada, a defense attorney in Wichita Falls. The case never got off the ground. As it was. Deemed not credible. What made this not credible? He didn't get into it. And since there's not really records it didn't go to trial or anything like that there's not a lot of information the bob estrada was interviewed by the wichita falls right now since this is such a name recognizable case Mm -hmm. sort of any possible angle you could have on it you see that in local papers so and this is the local wichita falls paper and they say how a wichita falls case helped put rodney reed behind bars and bob estrada from the article, I can tell was practicing at the time mm-hmm. and was aware of these cases. Yeah. And stuff, so they interviewed him. And I read that some other woman that came forward decided to drop the case or they didn't want to move forward with it. So it could have been that this victim decided that she didn't want to press charges. That happens frequently. Well, Roderick Reed, Rodney's brother, said Rodney had no shortage of girlfriends. Roderick told KXAN that Rodney always had quite a few women. He always had a way with women. Rodney did not dispute this and would later tell police that in 1996, at 28 years old, he was dating several women, one of them being 19-year-old Stacy Stites. On the afternoon of April 22nd, 1996, Carol Stites and her daughter Stacy sat in the living room of Carol's apartment, conveniently located directly below the apartment where Stacy and Jimmy lived. The mother and daughter excitedly went over wedding plans, while Jimmy sat nearby eating a sandwich, having recently got off work. Carol told KXAN that it was a stressful but a happy time. Later, she would hear Stacy laugh as she ran upstairs to her apartment. Sadly, that would be the last time Carol would ever hear her daughter's voice. 
Jimmy would later tell police that he and Stacy showered together before she turned in for the night around 8.30 p.m. According to Jimmy, he stayed up watching TV while Stacy slept. When Stacy got up at 2.45 a.m. to leave for her 3.30 a.m. shift at HEB, Jimmy was still asleep and claims he didn't see his fiance leave for work in his truck. Stacy's mother reports that she heard a single set of footsteps head downstairs around 3 a.m. That's tough, man. Waking up at 2.45. My dad worked Good God, yes. midnight to 8 a.m. My, almost my whole childhood. Man. And it's I just heard a thing on NPR that they do say that it is very bad for your health. It's incredibly bad for your brain health. To have your days and nights yes. switched. Yes, and that some countries institute mandatory hazard pay for any overnight shifts because mm. – of the harmful effects it has on it causes weight gain and stress and sleeping disorders and potentially dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that. Human beings are meant to sleep when it's dark and stay awake when it's light. So when he would get off at eight, would he come home, eat and go to bed? He would, he worked like midnight to like 8 a.m. Right. So when so, he yeah, would come home he, he at would 8 a.m., would he? Have breakfast, say hi to us if we were still home from before going to school, and then go to bed at maybe like 8.30 or 9, wake up about noon, go about his day, go to sleep about 7.30 or 8, and wake up at midnight. Wow. Because he delivered newspapers for the Dallas Morning News. So he's getting three and a half, four-hour spurts of sleep, like long naps. Benjamin Franklin style. Instead of just... One sleeping solid. all the way through. Yeah, yes. that's not good either. What? Just having like individual little Spurs. naps as opposed Correct. to like a restful eight hours of sleep. Correct. But I guess he had to if he wanted to see you guys. Yes, exactly. Otherwise he'd be sleeping all day and then working just... while y'all were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So shout out to everybody we know that worked overnight. Yeah. Shifts, that... Doctors, nurses, that's newspaper tough. delivery, HEB employees. Whatever it is. It's it super is... tough. Yeah. You deserve the bonus pay. Absolutely. At 5 a.m. on April 23rd, when Stacy hadn't arrived for her shift, her manager at HEB became concerned and called her mother, Carol. The manager would later say that before Carol hung up with her to call the police, she heard her yell out for Jimmy. I mean, understandable, especially if you live upstairs. Yeah. According to Jimmy, the 30-mile commute along the dark stretch of Highway 290 and SH-21 worried his soon-to-be bride, and she made a point to not stop until she got to work. With no way of contacting Stacy, her mother feared the worst. That's just scary. You know, driving oh, yes. down a long stretch of highway. Every episode of Unsolved Mysteries involves a long stretch of highway. Nothing good happens on a long stretch of highway. Especially whenever you're leaving, it's pitch black. And it's the dead of night. And the witching tired. hour. Three o'clock yeah. in the morning. And you're tired. You're yeah. tired. Other people are tired or drunk. That's true. It's not a good time to be on the road. While making his usual rounds that morning. Bastrop officer Paul Alexander noticed a single vehicle in the parking lot of Bastrop High School. Given the early time of 5.23 a.m., Officer Alexander found this unusual and approached the vehicle. It was a maroon 1995 Chevy S10 pickup truck. When the officer ran the plates, it came back to Jimmy Fennell. The truck had not been reported stolen, and there was no sign of burglary. When authorities looked inside the truck, they found a single shoe, later identified as belonging to Stacy and broken pieces of a green plastic cup. Outside the truck, police found a piece of a brown woven belt with the buckle attached. Yeah, it wasn't a whole belt. It was the chrome buckle and about half of the and belt. And about a ripped a belt that had it. been ripped in half, half of it. A town-wide search began for the missing 19-year-old that included police on the ground and in helicopters. 
but before police would make any headway, a grisly discovery was made by a motorist that had stopped to pick wildflowers around 3 p.m. Stacy's body, lying face up on the side of an unpaved road near County Road 1441, about seven miles outside the city limits. She was wearing a black bra, underwear, undone blue pants, a knee brace, socks, and one single tennis shoe. The zipper to her pants had been broken, and her panties were bunched around her hips. Her name tag from her job at HEB was found in the crook of her knee. She was lying in some tangled brush, and the marks on her neck indicated that she had been strangled by her own belt. Near the body, police found a white t-shirt and a piece of a brown woven belt without a buckle. Two empty beer cans were also found nearby. I have seen the actual police footage from this, and it is disturbing. Gruesome. Anytime someone is just dumped on the side of a road mm-hmm. with such little regard for their life, whoever did this, mm-hmm. her clothes had been ripped off, indicating something may have happened. She clearly went, was strangled. She's just tossed out like garbage. Mm-hmm. And disgusting. Sort of flung and drug and just, yeah. like you said, treated like a just a sack of trash. Just let's just leave it there on the side of the yeah. road next to these beer cans. Crime scene investigators determined that the piece of belt near Stacy's body and the belt near Jimmy's truck were one single belt that had been torn in half. Investigators also determined that it was the belt used to strangle Stacy, as the pattern of the belt matched the pattern left on her neck. Because of the condition of Stacy's body, crime scene investigators tested her vagina and breast for semen. The test showed that no actual semen was present, but that a trace amount of sperm was found inside her vaginal canal. Further examinations of Stacy's body revealed she was covered in scratches on her arms and abdomen, indicating she had been dragged. In addition, she suffered from a cigarette burn on her arm and had several fire ant bites on her wrist. Man. Yeah. that That's a rough way to go. Yes. And apparently the initial investigation of the body was done by the crime scene investigators just on the scene. Yes. They started sort of pawing through... Not uh, not in a sterile environment. Not, yeah, not following protocol of waiting for a medical examiner to get there and really securing the area. Or securing the body and waiting for a forensic pathologist yeah. to look at it in a sterile environment. Yeah. Stacy's family was devastated, but at the funeral it appeared that not everyone was grieving. As Stacy lay in her casket, wearing the wedding dress she had been working so hard to pay off, Jimmy Fennell stood over her. Deputy Jim Clampett of the Lee County Sheriff's Office overheard Jimmy tell Stacy's corpse, You got what you deserved. Officer Fletcher, who had previously witnessed Jimmy and Stacy fighting, was also disturbed at Stacy's funeral when Jimmy exhibited what Fletcher described as odd emotionalist behavior. So these again are things that have come out since the, af- trial. Since the trial. But the, they happened at the time. And can you imagine your Deputy Clampett sort of coming to pay your respects? of a small town, this horrible thing happened, and you overheard the fiancé of the decedent say something like that? No. And sort of mutter it to her. Furthermore, I, I can't imagine hearing that and then not thinking, oh, this is something that I should further investigate. Oh, this guy fully did it. Yeah. Yeah. Why would a grieving fiancé say you got what you deserved? What does that even mean? I would have a lot of questions. Seriously. And her sister's who firmly believe that Jimmy is innocent, said that he also went up to her body and put the wedding ring on her finger. 
So it was a it was a lot of show. Oh, okay. A lot yeah. of different emotions going on too. Yeah, that's so sad that she got buried in her own wedding dress. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just their dreams that are the, her dreams that she had at least. Yeah. Taken away. Over the next 11 months, police investigated Stacy's murder. Initially, police looked to Jimmy as the prime suspect, as the last place Stacy was seen was their apartment, and he was the last person to see her alive. Jimmy told police that he and Stacy had been home alone together all night. However, on the day of Stacy's disappearance, Jimmy told his best friend, Officer Curtis Davis, that he had been out drinking the night before. So already having some alibi issues. Yep. The beer cans found near Stacy's body tested positive for the DNA of two police officers, David Hall, who Fennell had been with earlier in the evening before the murder, and Ed Salmella. Four months after the investigation into Stacy's murder began, Ed died. His death ruled a suicide. However, Ed's brother does not believe that this is how his brother met his end. So Ed's brother thinks that he was murdered? 100%. Wow. In an interview I saw, he said his brother was meticulous and kept his apartment very tidy. And when his when he went to Ed's house afterwards, it was in complete disarray. Things were had been ransacked. The sheets had been ripped off of his bed. His computer was missing. His hard drive was missing. He, as it was ruled, he died by a self-inflicted gunshot wound. However, his brother was right-handed and the gunshot wound was on the left side of his temple. And it was, the gun was then found by his right foot. So none of it added up. But the prosecutor says it was not related. A note was left and he killed himself because his girlfriend had recently broken up with him. Wow. So his brother 100% says this this was not a suicide. Interesting. Yeah, I bet that it sounds like he maybe was a little bit aware of something that happened. I think he may have been. A few months later. Joe Bryant, an investigator working Stacy's case, was shot and killed by a migrant worker. In an interview with Crime Watch Daily, Joe's wife, Maria, said shortly before her husband was murdered, he told her who he thought was actually responsible for the death of Stacy, her fiance, Jimmy Fennell. So it sounds like if you get in Jimmy's way, you end up dead and someone else gets blamed. Because maybe Jimmy's a cop and maybe Absolutely. that's why someone else gets blamed. Same prosecutor when this interviewer said... What about Joe Bryant's death? She said, Joe was a police, was an investigator in Giddings, not in Bastrop. Giddings is where Stacy and Jimmy lived. Uh So he wasn't really involved in a technical aspect of this investigation. He was just kind of doing his own thing. Also, not at all related. So yeah, it sounds like if maybe if you're a cop in a small town that perhaps is a bit racist that um, people look the other way when questionable things start to arise in a murder investigation in which you are one of the prime suspects. Well, imagine you're another cop on the force and you think, man, maybe Jimmy Fennell did it. And then you hear Ed or Joe or someone say, I think Jimmy Fennell did it. And then they get shot in the face. Suddenly you probably think, not my business. Not going to worry about it. Even if you're not a cop, anyone that might think, uh, family members of uh, Stacy's, whoever 
I would keep my mouth shut if I thought I was going to get a bullet to my head if I said something. If people die under mysterious circumstances, mm-hmm. you don't know for sure, but you might worry. Yeah. Jimmy was administered two lie detector tests in connection with Stacy's murder. He failed them both. When police pressed Jimmy further on the details of Stacy's murder, he invoked his Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination and refused to answer any more questions. Years later, in October of 2017, at a hearing, Jimmy would once again assert his Fifth Amendment privilege when the discrepancies in the accounts of where he was the night of his fiancée's death were brought up. He plays the Fifth more than the Dave Chappelle show sketch. That's a great sketch. Fifth. Although, we... That's a whole thing. Dave Chappelle is a whole other thing we're not going to get into. (laughs) Yeah, I get on huge rants about that. (laughs) Here's my question. The Fifth Amendment, I understand why it's there. It's like being in an improv scene and somebody just keeps saying no, (laughs) no. And you're like, we got to get somewhere with this. If you've got someone on the stand and they just keep pleading the Fifth, do you eventually just say no further questions get them off yeah i mean you have to there's they that's pleading the fifth is not the same as refusing to answer so if you just refuse to answer then you can be held in contempt but if you plead the fifth that's your constitutional right not to be incriminated so how can you and you can plead the fifth even when you're being interviewed in a police interview or interrogated mm-hmm. or anything you don't have to tell the police anything in fact don't would be my advice not it's not legal isn't pleading the fifth also just a (laughs) fancy way of saying i'm guilty (laughs) not necessarily i mean he may know something or be involved i mean that's the problem is there's the necessary negative implication and normally when someone's on the stand and i say normally but sometimes when someone's on the stand and they plead the fifth then the jury is given an instruction not to interpret that as the worst don't interpret that as an admission unring that bell but it's also you have the implication that what you're hiding is probably not good for you because it could incriminate you. I get why it's there. And if I was ever in the situation where I need it, I'm sure I'd be glad it was there. It's also very frustrating because uh, in a court of law where you're you're you've taken an oath that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. It seems like you should have to tell the truth. You have to. But you have a constitutional right not to incriminate yourself. So it's mm. it doesn't look good though it's you can do it but also and if you're a cop saying i plead the fifth i plead the fifth i plead the fifth that's even worse well the question is what did you do the night of her death and you say i went to bed at eight o'clock and i woke up at whatever time they called me five o'clock in the morning whenever the heb people mm-hmm. called and carol ho- hollered upstairs what's incriminating about that what are you not answering yeah so unless you've got something to hide, I don't know why you would keep saying which is the thing that the judge always tells the jury. Don't assume that the person's hiding something, but you still assume. Yeah. Supporters of Rodney believe Jimmy received preferential treatment from his fellow police officers, despite him being a suspect. And it is easy to see why. For starters, authorities never searched Jimmy and Stacy's apartment, leaving another possible crime scene completely uninvestigated. And while the Department of Public Safety did confiscate Jimmy's truck for forensic analysis, they released it back to Jimmy before it was ever completed, despite bodily fluids being found on the floorboards that had a viscosity consistent with purge fluid, fluid emitted by a decomposing body. Almost immediately after getting his truck back, Jimmy sold the vehicle. 
It seems like it was investigated to the extent where it appeared that everyone kind of did okay at their job. But when you look back on it, and I guess hindsight's always twenty twenty, you look at what they did and you say, okay, you get to the crime scene, you find a dead body, you just immediately start manhandling it. Granted, they were wearing gloves, but you immediately start manhandling it, taking samples. The way that they took samples caught can definitely cause some cross-contamination leakage from one orifice to the Mm -hmm. other, making it confusing about what was in what orifice and where you then have this truck. That's not fully investigated. They also allowed Jimmy and officer Davis, his best friend to go and look at the truck before anyone else took a look at it. Yeah. So God knows what they pulled out. And officer Davis said, I accompanied him as a friend, not as an officer on that. Oh, I'm sure. And so who's to say, listen, if you're accused of murder, your best friend would probably help you. Would you help me? Yeah, dude. Honestly, (laughs) come on. Uh, This cannot be used in the court later. But I think I would never murder someone. That's why. I mean, we went in the Amber Geiger, both of John case. It was a police officer and there was a little bit up front of Mm -hmm. perhaps preferential treatment. But Dallas police chief did the right thing by saying, Stop. We're not touching this. We're calling the Texas Rangers immediately. And when the fiance of one of your own is turns up murdered, you say, everybody step back. Yeah. We're going to call. And eventually the Rangers did unbiased party to come in and take take control. The Rangers came in eventually, but at the not at the beginning, not soon enough. Not before things were completely muddled. Not before Jimmy was allowed to do whatever he did in the apartment or whatever he did to his truck. Or before, like you said, things got a little muddled. And they dusted the truck for fingerprints. The only fingerprints that came back were Stacy and Jimmy's. Yes. That same prosecutor that said, oh, those deaths aren't related at all. When the interviewer of Crime Watch Daily asked her, why wasn't the apartment investigated? That's the last place her mother saw her alive. Wouldn't that be the first thing you look at? The prosecutor goes... Well, there's always one thing in cases that doesn't that doesn't get done. And this was that one thing in hindsight. Yeah, we should have investigated. We should have checked it out. And I think the police wish they had now, too. But it was just one of those things that didn't get done. Might as well execute somebody. Fuck it. Sometimes you miss stuff. Are you kidding me? One of Are those you fucking kidding me? Doesn't get done. That seems one of those things that get, doesn't get done is like. You forget to check your email that day. Not that you don't go investigate the last place this girl was seen alive. Probably where she was murdered. You missed a fucking crime scene, you idiot. That's insane. Yeah. And you just so casual about, well, there's always one thing that gets oopsie, oopsie daisy. There's always one oopsie daisy in a capital murder case. Oh, my God. What did I say? There's some jobs, cop lawyer that you get held to a higher standard you don't get to have an oopsie if you want the privilege of killing somebody with the state's blessing you don't get to have a fucking oopsie no that's a non-oopsie job well in interviews with police stacy's friends would recall that stacy mentioned that jimmy had a violent temper and was very jealous despite this as well as countless other witnesses telling investigators how they had witnessed him being abusive to stacy and even threatening to kill her if she ever cheated on him they still weren't convinced he murdered his fiance. Texas Ranger Rocky Wardlow, the lead investigator in the case, said that after looking at mileage records from police vehicles and local taxis, that he was unable to find any evidence that Jimmy had driven from he and Stacy's apartment in Giddings to Bastrop, located 30 miles away. 
According to court documents, this was one of the main factors in ruling out Jimmy as a suspect. So if you have two beer cans, maybe it's your friends. Maybe they drove in their personal vehicles and not their police vehicles. Did you check every car in town? Right. Exactly. That's not a way to rule somebody out. No. And again, this prosecutor, I forget her name. Apologies. In this interview, She's probably happy you don't remember her name. Probably so. Well, well, the, it's gonna the interview will be linked in the show notes so everyone can see her fantastic work. But she said, "Well, it was just scientifically impossible. It was humanly impossible for him to have done this, for Jimmy to have done this, because he there were no records that showed he could have driven from their apartment to the where the body was found." Then back to Bastrop High School to drop the car off and then walk 30 miles back to their apartment through backwoods, as she put back back streets. Who, why would anyone assume this guy is going to walk 30 miles? He's going to get one of his police officer buddies to come pick his ass up easily. You, you didn't have to take a taxi. They immediately. That's what I thought. I said, who murders someone and then calls a cab? We checked yeah. the taxi receipts. Well, that was wasteful. Or who murders someone? Who? What cop murders someone and then drives his own personal cop vehicle around to do all the cleanup? Nobody. Why would it? Why would they immediately assume he didn't have anyone helping him? Yeah. I, uh, that was a huge, huge leap. Turn right all it on it. I think there was a lot of favoritism happening because they couldn't even begin to entertain the fact that one of their own had done something like this. A lot of looking the other way. Yes. Well, with Jimmy Fennell no longer a suspect, the police didn't know where to turn. However, a year later, the DNA swab from Stacy's body pointed to a new suspect, Rodney Reed. According to a supplemental clerk's record filed with the court, Rodney was a suspect in the rape of Linda Schluetter about six months after Stacy's murder. Linda, who picked Rodney out of a photographic lineup, claims that after she offered to give Rodney a ride home near the same area where Stacy's body was found, he tried forcing her to have sex. Allegedly, Rodney then threatened to murder Linda when she, quote, rebuffed his attempt to rape her. Yeah, she said he started pawing at her while they were driving. He had her turn off on a road. According to her, he started pawing at her when they were driving. She said, what do you want from me? And he said, I want a blowjob. And she said, you'll have to kill me first. And he said, "Okay, then I'm going to kill you. Mm. And then a car drove toward them. And then he got scared, I guess, jumped out of the car and ran off. There was also another DNA sample of Rodney's from the rape of an intellectually disabled woman named Caroline Rivas. A comparison of Rodney's genetic profile from the Rivas case to the swabs taken from Stacy's body was a match and gave officers probable cause to arrest Rodney for the rape and murder of Stacy Stites. Caroline Rivas and Rodney were dating. Yes. And she was the one that she told her. She told her social worker. Social worker that he would get mad if she refused to have sex. Yes. And, and then she was walking a little oddly and sat down gingerly, I believe, was the, the thing that the social worker said. And the social worker asked her what was wrong. And she said, he anally oh. raped me the night before. He got mad at me and yeah, held me down. And so that's where that DNA swab came from. Well, initially, Rodney denied even knowing Stacy. But the truth was even more scandalous for this closed-minded town. The two knew each other all too well and were actually having a romantic affair after meeting in that Diamond Shamrock gas station all those months earlier. Yeah, the Diamond Shamrock had a billiard room in the back. 
I've never been to a gas station that had a billiard room. Not except for big loves truck stops or oh, pilot truck true. stops. Yeah. But not a I always thought of Diamond Shamrock as kind of a corner store. We, yeah. Marilyn and I, my friend from childhood, used to go picking up coins from the gutter after it rained mm-hmm. and other treasures, including rusty nails and the like. Did it uh, in Mesquite? Did it rain coins? It rained snickles. <laughs> Man, mesquite, I wish Texas. I grew up in Mesquite. It would just, we would just go and pick up anything shiny or metal after it rained. And we would take our change to the Diamond Shamrock by our house. And get a little treat. Buy a bunch of candy. I've seen when you go into a gas station and there's the slots up front yes. where the blue hairs are sitting mm-hmm. playing and, and just smoking Pall Mall after Pall Mall. <laughs> For sure. But I've never been told when I walk in game rooms in the back if you want to have a if you want a hang zone we got a party zone in the back never never seen that never seen that party zone in the back rodney told nbc news that denying that he knew stacy was the worst mistake i could have made i denied everything i did not want to be incriminated implicated or anything in relation to her death in a 2002 interview with the austin chronicle rodney's mother recalled a conversation she had with her son in october of 1995 she said he was always dating several women at once. He said something about mom. I'm dating this girl and she's engaged to a cop. I said, what? Rodney, if you should ever be caught with that girl, anything could happen to you. I said, I don't want her over here. And that was the end of it. So not even knowing who the cop was, the mom had enough sense to know this is not a good situation. That's just we live in a, a town where that's not looked favorably upon interracial relationships especially with cops sure and even if it's not interracial relationship not a girl that's dating a cop yes but i think too you know the fact that he was black and she was white just exacerbated uh, the fan the flames and i think you know you have a friend that's dating somebody that's maybe could get them in trouble or they could get in trouble and you say come on man nothing like it's not worth it but especially when it's your son yeah you just think honey please no girl is worth it no no girl is worth her you having her cheat on a cop with you Mm -hmm. but it wasn't the end of it rodney and stacy would meet at the community center at rodney's mother's house or most often at the bastrop state park gazebo in an interview with kxan news Rodney said Stacy would use a payphone at a convenience store in downtown Bastrop to call him. And we should also say that her family denies this ever happened. Stacy's family denies that her and Rodney ever had an affair going. Correct. Yes. Whereas. Yes. The sisters say they had never even heard his name until he became a suspect in the case. And by family, I mean her Immediate family, mom, sisters. Yes, there are some two sisters. extended family that believe otherwise yes. that are willing to talk. The two were mostly careful, except for one incident that HEB coworker Leroy Ibarra recalls, where Rodney visited Stacy at work. Based on their interactions, Leroy was convinced Rodney and Stacy were romantically involved. Which is interesting because in an interview with the Ross, uh, Austin Chronicle. Uh, it was either Yabara or another coworker that said Stacy would hide in the back of the AGB when Jimmy would come visit her because she would be scared of him sometimes. So it was and the she opposite would, with Rodney. She invited him up there and was out and about. Apparently, in front of some sort him. of canoodling based on their interaction. He didn't get specific, but he said, I could tell kind of by the way they were talking to each other. That yeah, they were together. you can tell somebody's into each other. The small town was hard to sneak around in, and a few months before Stacy's death, the two were spotted together again 
this time at a Dairy Queen by Buddy Horton, Stacy's own cousin. When investigating Rodney's involvement at the time, the police didn't interview Cousin Buddy. He came forward with this information in 2015. In his affidavit, he said he would have been more than willing to testify at trial, but no investigators or attorneys approached him to do so. When Buddy saw Rodney's photo in the newspaper and read that he had been charged with capital murder, he then recognized Rodney as the man from the DQ. When shown a photo under oath later, he confirmed Rodney was the man he saw that day with Stacy. And the affidavit goes on to say he waves, kind of waved at her and she kind of kept her head down like, get away from me, man, because they were maybe not super open with their relationship considering she was engaged. Yeah, it's interesting they would even go out in public at all. You can't turn down the chicken finger, steak finger basket. <laughs> Say, oh, that's my go-to there, too. It's the one thing I miss. Not one, Donuts and steak finger basket from Dairy Queen and my glutinous. You can get gluten-free donuts. I don't think Dairy Queen's going to add any gluten-free <laughs> menu items anytime soon. That Dairy Queen gravy and them Dairy oh, Queen steak Oh, that's the best baskets. gravy. You can't. And Whataburger. Oh, yeah. I miss, I just miss gravy. Can for those of great, oh, it has flour. It's made with flour. For those mm. of you not in Texas or the South, white gravy, like mm. cream gravy, flour. Mm. It's hot oil. You whip some flour in it, oh, add so a little good. salt and pepper, and it's just a thick mess of just flour and fat and salt that you dip chicken strips it in. It is divine. It's magical. It's heaven. It's magical. This should be a good opportunity for me to use what I discovered earlier in the studio. Shout out to my cousin, Amy, who gave us a sound effects machine. Which, uh, let's see which one I'm going to choose right now. When we're talking about water, when we're talking about cream gravy, it's only appropriate. <laughs> I think that one's pretty good. I can't believe it. I didn't show you that sooner. I, we, when we were putting our new chairs and tables in, I said, what is this? And there's like, it's a sound effects machine my cousin gave us. It was still in the box. I said, I'm immediately taking this out. And then I played every single one and said, oh, I will be using this at some point today. <laughs> I love it. Now we don't it have now to. now sits right next to my laptop so I can use it whenever. We don't have to ask Tommy to cut in sound effects. No. We this, have our own sound effects. We have one, two, three, four. We have uh, nine sound effects. That's just one of nine sound effects. Hold on, you guys. I'm not going to spoil. I'm not going to spoil all the beans today. Don't spoil the we're gonna, beans. We're going to pace these out over the next few episodes you and should. forever. Honestly, these well, are I mean, infinite. It's a new. It's an ongoing. What's mm-hmm. a radio show without sound effects? That's true. Yeah. Now we're now we can also have our morning radio show That's that we've right. been talking about getting off the ground. Well, Chris Aldridge, Rodney's cousin, had seen the two of them together as well. According to the Austin Chronicle, Aldridge and Rodney were on a walk when Stacy pulled up and chatted with Rodney. Another time, Aldridge and Rodney were stopped by two Bastrop police officers. Aldridge recognized one of the officers in plain clothes as Jimmy Fennell. According to Aldridge, he told Rodney that he knew about him and Stacy and that Rodney was going to pay. Well, that's not good. No, and it also sounds like this secret affair wasn't very secret. 8,000 people in a You're, town. You can't do much without everybody knowing your business in That's a town of 8,000. such a small town. Yeah. There's I mean, nothing else to talk about but people's business. There are high schools here that are almost that size. Seriously. You, there's enough people that know people that know you, yes. you know? Yeah. Even if they don't know At the very least, you. it's a six degree separation situation. And people love a scandal. Mm-hmm. And not only is it a cheating scandal, but it's an interracial cheating scandal and the cuck 
which Paris said I say cuck too much. I've never heard you say I cuck. I say cuck a lot. Uh, well, then you shouldn't be around my daughter because she says it on the <laughs> That's reg. true. Maybe that's where she got it. <laughs> I taught her cuck. But the cuck is a cop. Yeah. Officer cuck. It's more drama than you could ever get. So it's so juicy. something on TV. Yeah. Another acquaintance, James Robertson, told police in an affidavit reported by the Austin Chronicle that he had seen Rodney and Stacy together several times at parties. In all, more than 10 Bastrop residents admitted to police they were aware of Rodney and Stacy's not-so-secret relationship. According to the Austin Chronicle, all of those people were willing to testify in court. But for whatever reason, the defense didn't call one of them. Yeah, there were a couple of maybe two witnesses called, and we'll get into the trial in the next episode. But the and the defense had reasoning. You know, they said, well, we were afraid that if it was someone that was a known associate of Rodney that perhaps also committed crimes, there would be opening the door to letting in prior bad acts by Rodney. You know, if it's maybe his cousin had the two of them had been picked up for stealing something together. Well, if the cousins testifying because they were together when they saw Jimmy Finnell say that, then the the prosecution could ask, well, isn't it true that the two of you have been previously arrested before together? Maybe that's why the cops were talking to you. So the defense was out of an abundance of caution, was saying he didn't want to put too many of the townspeople on the stand because he didn't want to besmirch Rodney's uh, reputation. Okay. Was was his defense team black? That's a great question. I don't know. I'll check. I believe his brother, Roderick, said that, or maybe it wasn't Roderick, but in, in an interview I read, someone said that the defense was black and because of that, they were afraid to proceed how they would because of the town in which it was happening. And the all-white jury. Mm-hmm. And the very conservative uh traditional whatever word you want to use uh, i'll call it racist court. no i mean no it's it fully is a oh here's as a, far as the women having to wear s- skirts and things like that and i just was, seems, uh yeah i can't i i won't say that it was definitely this county it may have been in east texas but not more than 10 years ago it was a dallas women lawyer event and one of the attorneys on the stand said i was i walked into court to do a traffic ticket And it may have been in East Texas now that I think about it, but just sort of to give you the idea that some of these more rural areas, Mm -hmm. she said that before anything started, the judge said, you know, Miss Smith, come back in my chamber. And she went back in his chamber and he said, are you one of those girl lawyers that has a chip on your shoulder? And she said, I knew that in service of my client, I couldn't say, screw you. I had to say, no, sir, I'm Mm. I'm just here to follow the rules. And she said, you just realize that you're just entrenched in this patriarchal, oppressive system that if you're any sort of... You one of those girl lawyers. With a chip on your shoulder. she's a woman. Yeah, with a chip on your shoulder. And and where did he get that? Because she walked in to court? Uh, uh, Yeah, and I don't... Maybe she And probably spoke with authority and confidence. Yes. And that turned into... You're here to prove something? Yeah. Little lady? Are you one of those... Little girl bitch lawyers that always has a uh, something shoved up your ass. Yeah. To be fair, they did on your shoulder. They did tell a story about a famous uh, his a famous Dallas lawyer, male Dallas lawyer that had his own firm that let the first female associate. He hired the first female associate in Dallas, and he they said one of his big clients said, 
hey, I just want you to know I don't want any, I don't want that girl working on my files at all. And he said, okay, you can come by at three and get your files. Good for him. And that the guy said, well, okay, never mind. And because you, I mean, you do have to, there, there needs to be people that take stands. But Absolutely. All that to say, this is a conservative small town in a rural area that if you have an all white jury, it will affect the performance of those involved, yes. especially if the defendant or the attorneys are people of color. Mm-hmm. Rodney and Stacy would meet up every week or so to talk and have sex. But because Stacy was engaged and because they were in a small town that didn't take kindly to interracial couples, the two kept their casual sexual relationship a secret. Stacy even told Alicia Slater, her coworker at the HEB, that she was sleeping with a black man named Rodney. In an interview with the Austin Chronicle, Slater recalled of her friend that she said she was sleeping with a black guy named Rodney and she didn't know what her fiance would do if he found out. I think she does know because I think he told her and he and told the insurance it from the rooftops. Exactly. What and co-workers and insurance salesmen and probably people at the Wendy's drive through and anybody yeah. that would listen. Rodney told NBC, I knew she was seeing a cop and we're in the South and there's still a lot of racism going on. Rodney eventually admitted to police that he and Stacy had engaged in sex at the state park the day before her murder in the early morning hours of April 22nd, 1996. Despite this explaining why his sperm was found inside her body, Rodney Reed was arrested for the rape and murder of Stacy Stites. So what do we think? Well, there was, I think, a misunderstanding of dna back then well like you said the case he when he when he was accused in 1987 that was the first time dna had even been used in wichita county yes so 10 years later they've been using it but that's not 10 years in that long of time to really wrap your head around how that kind of stuff works and to get a good grasp on it and then i think the misunderstanding too may be Oh, well, if there's DNA, then no matter what, that has to be your person. And I think as we will catalog piece by piece by piece by piece of evidence was misinterpreted. There was a lot of science that was misinterpreted. There was a lot of science that was stated properly and then misrepresented by the prosecution. And then this idea of the sperm, it's not it's not like there was a boatload of cum everywhere. There were three spermatozoas. Deep in the vaginal cavity. And we'll get into this in the the next episode. I know we say that a lot, but I think it's important to understand that sperm and semen are not the same. Correct. Two different things. But semen, if you immediately ejaculate on someone, there's going to be semen with sperm in it. Yes. But then the sperm can live for three days inside a woman's vagina. It's warm. It's uh, that's why. That's why, ladies, don't think that you can't get pregnant. <laughs> like you it can, can last. You can have sex. You can crawl up. Yes, there. and then like still get pregnant through it because it lives in your body for three days, and it does sort of leak out of you. But no, I mean you don't get in the shower and turn. But the when shower. you have sex, I know all this from when we had a baby. If you're get, like when you have sex and then you stand up, and you, we all know what happens after that. If you're pregnant, you're already pregnant. Oh, you don't even have it to stand up. It shoots up so fast inside of you. You don't even that, have to be like on the big Lebowski where, where you keep your legs. Over. I did that. Thing. Where she's wrapped in a little <laughs> wrapped yeah. in a ball, rocking back and forth. Yeah. And you, it aids in conception, Jeffrey. 
But yeah, it shoots so fast. It's I can't remember how much, like ninety miles per hour is what. God, it maybe maybe not that. Yeah, it's like a baseball team. <laughs> maybe not that quite that hard, but pretty fast. So it's already up in you if you're yeah. going to get pregnant. So if they, I mean, not if he's said they did have sex mm-hmm. the morning before. Yeah, it makes full sense that his sperm would still be inside of her, mm-hmm. and no other. Semen was found on her or anything. I think you are. You always talk about when the police find a theory and jam the evidence into mm-hmm. match. And I think that's what happened here is yes. that there's sort of two trains of thought. Either the whole police force and the prosecutor knew Jimmy Fennell did this and thought, fuck it, let's cover it up. Or I think more likely Jimmy knew what he did. His friends, a select group of his friends knew what he did and aided him and the tacit understanding of others, some others in the community was, we have a person, we have a black man, Mm -hmm. let's just let it, let's let that be Mm -hmm. the fall guy. Yeah. And are you really going to tell me this cute white girl from the high school, the local H-E-B really was sleeping with someone like that? And and her mom and sisters are saying... She would never sleep with a black man. We've never heard. It's such a weird thing. I mean, now in this day and age for someone to talk like that. Right. But it's out there still. Yeah, it's still out there. But it was real out there in the mid 90s in a small town in Texas. Texas. Yes. Yes. It's probably I I don't I don't want to besmirch the good people of Bastrop. I hope that they've progressed some since then. Small towns in Texas. This kind of shit goes on there all the time. For sure. But yeah, when you've got the family of her saying, no, this would never happen. Never happen. Never heard his name. And it, you know what? They may never have heard her. If, if my mom doesn't know the list of everybody I've ever fucked, I was having an affair. My mom wouldn't know the guy's name. That's true. Plus, if you were having an affair, I don't think that you shot it from the rooftop. And they all said they loved Jimmy. So I'm sure she's not going to admit that she's sleeping with a, a guy, especially if he was black and she knows that her family would not approve look favorably upon that yes that's affairs are secret rarely are you although it is surprising that they were out and about all over town as much as they were when they were trying to but keep i guess this she lived in giddings and so they'd go out in bastrop yeah but i mean it's, that's like that's like it's having like a neighborhood living in dallas and then conducting all of your business in plano in plano <laughs> there's a good chance there's going to be some crossover and you're going to run into people there yeah especially when it's too well i guess yeah bastrop and giddings are both small town those yeah. people talk for sure i agree that jimmy and a handful of people half of which are now dead knew what he did and the rest didn't want to believe that one of their own could do it and when they had this logistical evidence of there's no way he could have done it because the mileage doesn't add up on these police cars and taxis. There's no way he could have gotten back and forth, eliminate him as a suspect. And then the first person that pops up that could be the suspect, Uh this is our guy who was involved, but not responsible. Mm -hmm. So I think it makes for a slam dunk too. If you're a prosecutor and you have a black defendant and an all white jury and some DNA that was widely misunderstood at the time, but if you have maybe a less sophisticated jury pool 
that you don't you're maybe going to have, you know, your average average Joe on the jury and not scientists yeah. where you can explain the difference in semen and sperm, where you can explain the how DNA exclusion area exclusionary DNA evidence works, things like that. You can almost kind of trick the jury, mm-hmm. you know, or at least lying by omission. You lead them down the path yes. that you want them to be to go down. Well, we're just scratching the surface of this whole case. There's a the lot next of episode, There's a lot of information on the trial. And then, of course, stuff that has come out post conviction. So much. Which is why this is so in the news right now, because um, he is on death row, Rodney Reed, and his scheduled execution will come out. will be on this. The no. The day of our second episode. True. It's scheduled for November 20th. Hopefully, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas will do the right thing and grant at least a 30-day reprieve to go over more evidence. And ideally, we would not have a death penalty at all, but he doesn't quite have that ability. But some kind of at least a reprieve at bare minimum, if not a pardon. And thankfully, there's been a lot more uh, spotlight on this case, including you know, celebrities, Oprah, Dr. Phil, Kim Meek Kardashian. Mill. Yes, Dr. Phil just did a two-part series mm-hmm. interviewing the family because he really wants to shine a spotlight on this and and get the execution staved or, like you said, at least a 30-day reprieve. reprieve where they can do evidence. So if you want to do your part in this, there are tons of petitions circulating, circulating right now. You can check out the Innocence Project website. They, I think they're... Currently, they're representing him, and they have the uh, the centralized kind of petition on there. Yeah, there's several million, I believe, as of now. There was at least two million as of the other day. Mm-hmm. If you are interested in protesting, if you're in Austin, go to the governor's mansion, knock on the door, talk to Greg Abbott, uh, tweet at him, write him, email him. You can call him. Like I said, Texas senators, bipartisan state level senators and House uh, and representatives have written him letters. That hasn't moved the needle. And now Ted Cruz, like I said, of all people, who is our Republican senator from Texas at the federal level, has come out and said that he believes there needs to be a reprieve. So there's getting more traction in the party as well as just nationwide as far as getting attention on it. So I think the more attention there is, the more likely Greg Abbott will be to do the right thing. Yes. And in the next episode, you'll see that there is a ton of evidence to show that he did not commit this crime. Yes. That is not to say he did not commit the other crimes that he has been accused of. His family maintains he didn't. He maintains he didn't. Victims and we'll get into DNA evidence indicates that he perhaps has engaged in some other unsavory behavior and crimes. But I think it's important to understand that just because someone is not guilty doesn't mean they're innocent. And just because they are guilty of another crime doesn't mean they should be punished for a crime that they did not commit. And I think that our unfair justice system, I mean, some of the protesters were calling it Jim Crow justice, that if someone has engaged, you know, if you've been arrested before and then you're engaged in a relationship with this person, they're going to go throw him away. He's one of he's he's a criminal already. Might as well lock him up. Who cares? And I think it's important that one might say. They got what they deserved. Well, much like Jimmy Jimmy Fennell. But I was going to say, it's very important that we advocate on behalf of people who have been wrongly convicted, particularly where they did not have a completely pristine and clean record because Mm -hmm. they are the ones more likely to be picked up and to be prosecuted. And then in some cases sent away for a long time, horribly in other cases to be put to death for something they didn't do. 
but they're picked up by virtue of their not so pristine record. Exactly. And I think it's important for us to not look at a case where someone has a prior conviction, prior convictions, prior accusations, though they're credible and go, oh, well, I really don't care if he gets executed because he's possibly assaulted people or he definitely was arrested for drug possession or theft. And I don't really I don't really don't want to advocate for someone who's like, you know, be like Jesus, whatever. He hung out with the, the tax collectors and the ne'er-do-wells and the thieves. Like, if we're going to save everybody, we need to save everybody and yeah. not be picking and choosing. Or have the opinion of, well, maybe he didn't do this, but he didn't get in trouble for his other crimes. So he's getting what was coming to him. At least he'll be punished for something. No. Oh, yeah. You want to. Absolutely. We say all the time, two things. This is not. These things do not have to be mutually exclusive. Correct. If he and I firmly believe he did not kill Stacy. Yes. So he should not be put to death for something he did not do. Correct. Regardless of whatever else he's done in his life. Correct. This is something he did not do. And this is the the issue at hand. So, So quick Google search will. Show you petitions and things, we'll or it, we'll go to the, the innocence, go to the innocence project, and it will, it will also be in the show notes. Well, we have some upcoming live shows. We're performing with the Cult, November fifteenth at seven, and November twenty third at seven, both at Dallas Comedy House. And we had some people come up to us after our last Cult show and take photos and say hi and chat with us. And we are always hanging around DCH Mm -hmm. uh, before and after our shows. So come on out to see The Cult. You can head to our website and click on live shows for tickets. And just come hang out with us November 15th or the 23rd at 7 p.m. Or both. Come to both of them. Come to both. Sinisterhood will always remain free. But if you wish to donate to our Patreon to help offset the cost of making and hosting the show, you can visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Patreon in the top right corner. You'll get some sweet perks like Patreon-exclusive content, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group, a special shout-out on the show, and a monthly bonus mini-sode. We also have brought our love of improv to our Patreons with on-air improvised scenes based on Patreon suggestions and fun discoveries we've made in past episodes, all available to you if you subscribe to our Patreon. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you wanted some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Shop in the top right I can't believe I haven't ordered Ella a shirt. What's wrong with me? Oh, that's hurtful. (laughs) I'm ashamed of myself. Very hurtful. I will order one tonight. Okay. And put pics up. Oh, God, yes. I'll yeah. order a baby onesie and put it on the goose. Oh, my God. Please do that. <laughs> well, the best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SinisterhoodPod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy, where are you at? Are you going to post those cute pictures of Ella? I will. I am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and on Twitter at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I am on Twitter at MCK versus the world and on Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Mm, Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Camilla Bell. Elizabeth Thompson. Alex Miller. Abby Adele. Annie Matthews. Kristen Myers. Demesla Kennedy. 
Emily Simons, Barbara, Sarah Witten, Clara Schiffman, and Amanda Centers. Thank you guys so much. We could not do the show without you. We appreciate you to the end of the earth and back. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do. We love you. Keep it creepy. <laughs> Sin and-